You are listening to Cricket Ultras. This is Arun Sudhaman and joining me from Shanghai, a man who is a year older and no doubt a year wiser, <laughs> Darren Burns. Welcome. Hey, Arun. Well, I think I get, I did my birthday yesterday, it's true, and I, I think I get dumber every year. I think it almost <laughs> subtracts a number every year. You feel like you've seen it all, but it, um, it always surprises you. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I, I must say, I, I really enjoyed the um, picture of you that you put up on Facebook. <laughs> if you hadn't said it was you, I would never have recognized you. I mean, this was, this was quite unbelievable, actually. Yeah, thank you. Yes, one of my friends sort of, and it sort of caught me sitting on a couch when I was 18 years old, black and white, reading a Cosmopolitan magazine. It was very compromising. Oh, um, 18. Okay. Yes, so not that long ago, really. Not that long ago, actually, yeah. Last decade-ish. Ish. <laughs> Past five years. Okay, so we have, I think, so we're going to, we have an interview on Cricket Ultras later on in the show. We do. With Tim Cutler, who, until his abrupt exit last April, was Chief Executive of Cricket Hong Kong, and he's going to be talking to us about the World Cup qualifier, um, about Sandpaper Gate, and maybe about cricket at the Olympics. And I suspect we'll be seeing more of Tim because um, he had some interesting views. And I, I think our listeners will enjoy not having to listen to us so much. Perhaps. And doesn't he live beside you as well? He, he does live very near me. It must be Your neighbour. There's, there's like a little cricket ghetto here in Hong yeah. Kong. Um, so that's coming up. But before that, Darren, tell us about the IPL, which is back with a bang. And yeah. already plenty of highlights, right? And lowlights. Yeah, there are pl plenty of highlights and lowlights. Um, I'll sort of go through my top three or four as we get going. Well, I think, you know, so far there's been some very close finished games. There's been a few games that have gone down to the last over. I think three of the games so far. And we've been going for a week only, which is fantastic. The crowds have been absolutely amazing. Every single game I've seen has been sold out. And just raucous, passionate crowds. Um, and now you know why they sold it for $500 million a year, right? US dollars a year. It's, it's an amazing franchise. It's exciting. I think what's great is there is a lot more players from outside Australia as well. There's, I think there's a record 12 or 13 English players, which brings in those, th those crowds. There's a lot more New Zealand players and Australian players as well getting in together. Of course, more Afghanistani players. So it becomes a much more international uh, tournament. It's actually good cricket to watch. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, just a shame... That there are still no Pakistanis, but that's a different yeah, issue really is. that's, altogether. Yeah, that's a real pity. Hopefully that'll be sorted soon. Um, you know, my concept is, why, why wouldn't they expand it and get a franchise or two from Pakistan? I think the Big Bash should do that in Australia. Maybe bring in an Auckland team or a, or a Christchurch team, perhaps from New Zealand, to sort of make it more international. Uh, well, let's see about that. Or maybe maybe so they I could function as a B team yeah. for one of the Australian teams. <laughs> a, feeder, a feeder circuit. A feeder side, yeah. Because, you know, Ish yeah. Sodhi, who's now... His stock continues to rise and rise. He's now finally been picked up, got his IPL contract. He has in, been. In the New Zealand um, Test team. Is he, he, yeah, so Ish Sodi now comes into the Rajasthan Royals, mm. um, replacing Zahir Khan, the uh, wrist spinner from Afghanistan, who was injured apparently. Um, so well done, Ish. We did make fun of Ish that he was the number one T20 bowler <laughs> in the world, and now he's getting his due, yeah, which well, is we, very nice got, to see. We've got plenty of things wrong, and, and we will continue <laughs> to get plenty of things wrong. So what's caught your eye? Well, what's caught my eye is a few things. Um, I've noticed that most of the Australian players are doing quite poorly. Um, Do you think this is a fallout from Sandpaper Gate? This is just a kind of lingering downturn for Australia. I think Australian it is a bit of a hangover. Players. I listened to an interview with Glenn Maxwell, and he was saying 
you know, obviously Glenn Maxwell flew in for the last test in South Africa and he said just the, the you know, the feeling in the dressing room and just talk amongst the guys was, he's never seen it so low in his life. He said it was just, they were just distraught. So he said for them going out to play that next day uh, in South Africa was just, there was no way they were going to win the game. They were just not in, the, in it at all. And I think it's had a big of a pull across all Australian players by the looks of it. Um, I think typic, typifying this was Darcy Short. Um, of course, Darcy Short was opening the batting for his club and has been run out from a direct hit twice in a row <laughs> after striking a nice boundary um, and being run out twice in a row. So you know, he, he's looked good. He's hit a couple of fours and got run out with direct hits in both his games. Um, most of the other guys, Chris Lynn is not doing that well. I, and uh, Maxwell did okay last night. Um, but I guess the surprise packet is Shane Watson, the old warhorse. He seems to be uh, going strongly, scoring a few runs and picking up some wickets so far. So I think maybe Donnie's getting the best out of him. Yeah, he seems to be enjoying himself in uh, with the Super Kings. Um, I, to your point on the Australian players, I, I, I just I imagine they're all maybe just rethinking a little bit their usual mode and style on the field. So it's it's you know it's probably given them a little bit of pause. They're probably holding back a little, not going as as hard as they usually do, and yeah. that you know that can make a difference. They're they're probably aware that the cameras are on them. They they probably don't need to worry quite so much though. I think. And they're probably copying a lot of shit from other their teammates and also you know people around them asking them questions and sort of wanting to know more about what's going on and being inside the dressing room and stuff like that. So I guess it's probably uncomfortable as well. But maybe maybe it'll just be the next. Probably not asking them for tips on um, on how to get reverse swing, though. I don't think... Probably not. No, probably not. Maybe they're asking for tips to improve Maybe their own. Tips. How, how do you do it without getting caught, perhaps? Maybe you know, how, how do we do it less obviously? Yeah. Is there a good sandpaper supplier? Well, why don't they just put um, sandpaper into the pants? Can't they just make a high-tech kind of fabric or something where you can just rub the ball on your pants and it kind of scuffs up? I'm sure somebody can do that. I'm sure, yeah. I mean, or on your sweatbands. Um, yeah. You know, there's plenty of options. Yeah, so, so you know, one of the highlights to me was, you know, the Australians doing pretty poorly so far. The other one I thought was quite funny is the, the sort of three picks that I had, which were RCB, Delhi Daredevils, and Mumbai Indians are sitting in the last three places consecutively. So our, our early calling is pretty abysmal, mine at least. Anyway. Or yours. I, I, I picked yes. CSK, who are doing very well. Oh, you did. <laughs> Just because you're a Chennaian, that's why. But, um, you know, one thing I've learned about the IPL is the early form is often oh, no yeah. guide. Right? I was going to say a, that, actually. It's a long tournament. And um, Mumbai Indians, at least, look, still look really good. I think yes, their, their lineup. it's true. I mean, mm. they play 14 games, right, each. So it's we're early doors. Most teams have only played one or two games, so we're really early doors at the moment. But CSK, I must say, are looking pretty good. So well done, Arun, so far. Knock on wood. Um, the other thing I thought was very interesting was the shoe throwing in Chennai. Oh, um, yes. It reminded me of the movie Wag the Dog, and if you haven't seen that movie, listeners, go and see it. Well, it, it is from the classic. 90s, and you know that's quite a while back. And uh, people were sh- throwing shoes onto the ground in Chennai. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in Wag the Dog, people throw shoes around power lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yes, Willie Nelson that. writes a song about a shoe, a good old shoe. So I have a question for you. Why are people throwing shoes? Mm-hmm. Is there a song in Hindi about throwing shoes? Or in Tamil. Um, and in Tamil, sorry, Chennai, of course, Tamil. Sorry, listeners. Um, and, and where are they moving the games to now? 
So this has um, become... It is you know, it's, it's become the, the big story of the IPL all of a sudden. Um, well, you know, I, I guess you're aware that in, in Indian culture, throwing a shoe is kind of the worst thing you, t- you can do to someone. Yes. Um, it's considered a, you know, quite a disrespectful thing. And so I was, you know, reasonably enthusiastic to see it happening to Ravindra Jadeja. Uh, and I, <laughs> I was, you know, surprised that... Uh, the powers that be have decided that they must they must take the games away from Chennai. Because of this, I actually think this is a reason to give more games to the crowd in Chennai. But <laughs> the, the reason for the shoe throwing is because, and this will sound so esoteric and really has so little to do with the cricket, um, it's, there's, a, there's a long-standing water dispute between the states of Tamil Nadu and the neighbouring state of Karnataka um, around who gets priority access to the Calvary River. Well, uh, and what's happening is people are using the IPL as, as you would know well, Darren, they're using, they're newsjacking the yes, IPL. As a platform. As a platform to, um, to promote their protests. Tamils are around this issue. Um, and hence, someone threw a shoe in the vicinity of Ravindra Jadeja and Faf Duplessis, Faf Duplessis, of course, I'm sure, is, is very well aware of the intricacies of, of the water dispute between Tamil sure. Nadu and, and Karnataka. But he's a very upshot, educated man. He is an educated man, and I'm sure he's, he's well aware of, of, of water rights issues in, in southern India. Uh, but the upshot, sadly, I think, is that they're going to move uh, the games to Pune. So they're not, not even just moving them out of um, Tamil Nadu. They're, they're, they're kind of moving them out of South India altogether. Altogether. Moving mm. them back to Pune, which is, of course, there is some some rationale for this because uh, when Chennai Super Kings were banned for the last two years, the franchise essentially operated as 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 the the Pune Super Giants. I think they did. So Dhoni was there, and I think De Villiers was there, and St- or Stephen Fleming was there, and Dhoni yeah. both there. So that's what's happening, and it's a little bit sad. It's sad that, that you know because Chennai, I think people appreciate gets the best crowds in the IPL. Yeah, it does. Uh, and it's sad that the actions of a few have spoiled it for the many. Um, but I think they're worried about about player safety, I guess. I think they are. And, and just I'm probably getting in and out of the games because people are threatening to do strikes and, you know, sort of disrupt the, the, the whole flow of the game. So it might be a bit of a hassle for them to do it there. Yeah, yeah. and think things can get out of hand quite quickly. Really quickly. Yeah. So, so would some of these protesters travel to Pune, do you think? I'd, I'd be very surprised okay. if that happened. Not exactly um, mobile. Um, I, I mean, it's a long way. It's a long way to go. And I mean, maybe there are some other issues that people in Pune, Pune could, could protest about. I don't know. I mean, if people took this up all through the IPL, then there would there'd be real problems. Yeah, there would be. I watched a bit of the game last night um, the Super Kings, the, the CSK game with 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 um, Delhi Daredevils. I actually stayed up quite late watching it. Um, what I what I what I love too was the sort of Ponting versus Warn thing. Mm, the reunion. Um, so, so Ponting is is Delhi Daredevils coach, and, yes. and SK Warn is the CSK coach. Um, and, and the commentator spent a lot of time unpacking that rivalry um, and highlighting the fact that Shane Warn was walking around with a pair of flip flops on, um, talking to his teammates. Then he had no shoes on walking around the field um, like a real bogan. So um, very interesting. Um, Delhi yeah. Daredevils were set, I think, 72-odd off six overs, which is a bit of a farce because of the rain. The rain came down. Uh, and I think CSK got up. But um, 
it, it looks like it looking like a good game early, um, but unfortunately the rain washed it out. So these side battles too, in in the IPL, which fascinates me as well, these sort of like once rivals, once competitors, right? Mm. Once friends sort of competing against each other. And then also having those international plays in the same team, right? Um, competing together, which is just why it's such a great tournament, I think. It's, it's really par excellence. It's the good thing about it. And also, um, I think that it has really improved these players. Whenever you talk to them about the IPL, they all say, well, when I'm sharing a dressing room with A.B. de Villiers and I'm getting tips from, um, you know, Shane David Watson. David Warner. <laughs> I'm getting DRS tips from Shane Watson. Shane Watson, yeah. <laughs> it, it can only help your development as a cricketer. And again, yeah. I know we've laboured this point, but it really hurts players who don't get to play, uh, yeah. such as Pakistan. And that actually brings me to an issue we should probably touch on, which is that the, the, the India-Pakistan dispute, because as, as you're probably aware, there is a, there's a dispute. You know, Pakistan uh, are, have complained because India has not fulfilled its uh, obligations under the ICC cricket programme right. to play Pakistan every few years. Um, you know, they haven't actually played Pakistan. Uh, they haven't visited Pakistan and they haven't hosted Pakistan since what is it, 2008 now? Um, yeah. So Pakistan, of course, has complained to the ICC, uh, and the ICC has, I think, set up an arbitration panel. Yeah, they have. To settle this dispute. Um, that's going to take place in October. Um, it will be interesting to see what happens. I don't, I don't you know, that Pakistan have a very clear case here. In, India has, has contravened its obligations. But of course, with anything involving the ICC, um, India's uh, sway sometimes goes beyond the, the, the letter of the law. They hold so. a lot more water than Pakistan do on the, at the ICC. And I think the Pakistan Cricket Board are seeking about 70 million in compensation, right? Um, Which is peanuts lost a lot for the BCCI. It's, it's a lot. Oh, yeah, the PCB is, is struggling. And I, I just, I would really like to see India tour Pakistan. I'd really like to see Pakistan back in India. I mean, when India toured Pakistan last time, it was just a great, great moment for cricket. Totally. The Champions Trophy last year was, yeah. was a real highlight of last year's highlight. The players cricket calendar. Get along. The players all get along very well. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's box office, as we talk about a lot, and I think bringing Pakistanis cricketers back into the fray is great for world cricket, right? So hopefully they can resolve this. But hey, it's the ICC. Yeah, well, it's the ICC. Don't and expect too much. It's the BCCI as well, no doubt. Well, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the TV rights in India going for a record. Um, will the Cricket Australia TV rights go for a record? It seems to be a bit of a kerfuffle at the moment. Yeah, you tell me, Darren, because I, I guess the, the worry is that, you know, all of this all of this stuff going on with Sandpaper Gate, with the fact that Australian cricket is... Is going to be missing its its two best batsmen for the next for the foreseeable future. I mean, how how is that going to impact the the bidding? Mostly, analysts say it won't impact it that much. I think, I think most of the bidders are already in place. So, you know, what they're looking to try and get CA anyway is about a billion dollars Australian, um, and I think they got five ninety for the last five year deal. So almost doubling that. Um, I think what's what's been interesting is that it's come at obviously a bad time, the whole Sam Gate thing, 
right, right during these negotiations. But apparently this week they're going to try and solve them. So I think Channel 9 and Channel 10, you might remember Channel 9 has been sort of associated with test cricket for many, many years. Well, forever, really. Um, and Channel 10 in Australia usually broadcasts the BBL. Mm. So they're looking at perhaps doing a joint bid where 9 might take the test and then 10 takes the BBL. Um, because Channel 9 has pulled a massive coup in Australia where they've just bought the rights for the Australian Open Tennis, which had always been Channel 7. So how can they have the BBL um, or some of the other cricket at the same time as the uh, Australian Open, which clashes? So it, it looks like there could be sort of a split-up deal here. But I think people are pretty pretty comfortable to get 900 to a $1 billion um, in revenue. And I think that will, that will make up about 80% or so of Cricket Australia's revenue, which is a massive chunk, right? I mean, they need to do that. And maybe that's one of the reasons why young James Sutherland continues to stay in his role because he can say that he's doubled, you know, TV rights and revenue and all these things that he's done. Um, but of course, he didn't know anything about the culture in the Australian Test cricket team. It's got nothing to do with him. <laughs> nothing to do with him at all. He's the C- Hey, he's the CEO. What would, it, what would he have anything to do with it? He didn't know about it. <laughs> he, he's a survivor. Um... Okay, and then very briefly, do we want to touch on the five cricketers of the year yes. as determined by Wisden? Of course, Wisden have been doing this for a very, very long time tradition that very dates back to 1889. And of course, very interesting and very encouraging and long overdue, I suspect, this year is that three of the five yes. um, are women. So congratulations to Anya Shrubsoul, Heather Knight, and Nat Skyver, Anya Shrubsoul also becomes the first woman to feature on the cover. Yes. Um, and I think before this, only two women had, had actually made it to the Wisdom Five. Correct. But not, not in the same year. Uh, I think the first one was 2009. Yes. And um, then 2014. But, you know, it doesn't yeah. surprise me because, you know, England, if you look at cricket, English cricket, it's the women that <laughs> are really true. doing well, right? That's true. So. The men's team are doing pretty crap. Um, yeah. And listeners, if you haven't watched the highlights of the World Cup final um, between England and between India, I suggest you do watch it. The Women's I World mean, Cup final. The Women's yes. World Cup, of course. Anya Shrubsaw was absolutely on fire and picked up about six wickets, I think. And India were cruising along at one stage. And then yeah, um, she came to the spell in front of a packed house, a full house uh, at Lords. But watch it. But I, I, I prefer to watch the semi-final, Darren. When India beat Australia. When they beat Australia, okay. Yeah, that was who, more who fun. Won that three, who won the recent series against India? Uh, I don't know. I don't it know. Must, must I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, India have been playing quite... Very, very I, well. I, I wouldn't say poorly, but they've been quite average. Australia have been playing very well in, yes. in the recent series. And well, I think the leading India. women's cricketer of the year was Mithali Raj, right? The captain of India. Yes, um, yeah. She, she got it in wisdom. Leading men's cricketer um, was Virat Kohli for the second year in a row. Go India. <laughs> well, it's, it's nice to see. Um, it is nice I, to see. I actually think also nice to see is the top T20 player going to one Rashid Khan from Afghanistan. Um, I think the more I watch Rashid Khan, it's not just the way he bowls, but it's his presence. I mean, he's quite a charismatic man and he, he's a very, he speaks very well. He gets fired up. He gets into the moment. He, he sort of got a bit of swagger about him, which I like. I wouldn't say it's Shane Warne, but it's it's maybe a sort of Afghanistani swagger. It's it's nice to see. It's confidence. He he really gets around the crease. Uh, he's good to watch. 
the Afghanis are rising, and um, as you'll hear Tim Cutler say later on, he is expecting a day when teams start playing three or four wrist spinners. Well, have you seen Robbie, Sh- Robbie Ashwin bowl recently? Is he, is he bowling leg spin? He's bowling everything. He's bowling off spinners and finger spinners and... Bouncers. And, and <laughs> leg spinners and googly. He's bowling everything. So the other day, I think he bowled an over of six different... Cup, I think half of them were wrist spin, half of them were finger spin. Um, he struggled with his radar a bit, but it, obviously for a batsman, it's hard to... You know, you've got to adjust every ball, right? So it's interesting. Is there any change in action? Well, of course, he, he bowls the leg spinners out of the back of his hand, of course. Yeah, but I mean, do, is it very obvious to the Yeah, it's, it well, is. a little bit. Yeah. I mean, obviously, his arm goes in a different direction, but still, um, I think he's still struggling with accuracy, to be honest. But it's quite a mystery, right? Maybe he should practice by throwing some shoes. <laughs> Showing through, sh- <laughs> throwing shoes. At whom? At whom? I don't know. Okay, excellent. So... Quick whip round this week because we have um, Tim Cutler coming on next. Um, Darren, thank you very much. See you soon. We are very happy to be joined now by Tim Cutler, who was until last April the chief executive of Cricket Hong Kong. Tim, welcome to Cricket Ultras. Thank you for having me. Now, you left um, Cricket Hong Kong last year I'm guessing you're not in a position to discuss your departure from that organization yet? Well, it's now about to hit a year, actually. I think uh, we're almost... The NDA is over? Almost on the day of uh, when that decision was taken, my last day was the 28th of April, but it was two very successful years. I think we got Hong Kong cricket on our path, but uh, yeah, disappointed to leave, but uh, sometimes it's just time to move on from these things. Sure, but it really was Hong Kong cricket's finest moment, right? The 2014 uh, win over Bangladesh at the World uh, 2020. I mean, that, that's a, that was an enormous giant killing feat. Absolutely. And I think that it, I don't think that game got enough airtime as it probably deserved is mm. we're talking about potential of cricket in the Olympics and what it means for smaller teams to be at world events. And we talk about Japan beating South Africa, the Rugby World Cup, Iceland beating England at Euro football championships, but I think for Hong Kong with fewer than a thousand cricketers to beat a country like Bangladesh with 160 million people who are crazy about cricket in Chittagong in a global event was bigger than any of those things combined, really. So yeah, those two years, I think we probably took advantage of a lot of hard work that had been done before. I think when Charlie Burke got to Hong Kong in 2010 to lead the team in World Cricket League Division Three. Mm-hmm. Which we won here. We with him picking a fifteen-year-old Mark Chapman to uh, to play in the course, team, yeah. um, which at the time was a big decision to drop some of the the older established players, which in mm. the end proved uh, critical. We had him playing some key innings, and then well, we've seen what he's gone on to be. But of course, yeah. it's been a good period for Hong Kong cricket. Really, that eight-year period from two t- two thousand and ten when we got out of Division Four, finally um, into Division Three until this year. Really, I think. Uh, now I think it's at risk of hopefully not yo-yoing back down again, but uh, it definitely has been a good period for Hong Kong cricket. Yeah, it's been it's it's made us all very proud. Uh, quite surprising, I would say. I mean, I grew up playing um, league cricket here in Hong Kong, and actually many of the players who were in that generation during the um, the nineties uh, and the early years of this millennium. Um, 
who went on to play for Hong Kong, but you never really thought Hong Kong was going to make it to the, the upper echelons of international tournaments. Um, how important has it been to be able to bring in new blood into the team? Well, I think it's critical, really. We wouldn't be where we are if there wasn't that pathway. Um, mm. Because that also goes to getting kids to play the game here. Because if you see those opportunities being given to, to kids with talent, as a parent especially, you're probably more inclined to, to allow your kids to play the game. You look back at that generation of players as well, I think it's very easy to forget that we did do well enough to qualify for two Asia Cups as well that got us playing one day cricket in 2004 and 2008. So it's not like that bunch of players was, was at a standard that much lower. I just think the amount of money and support that was around and available at that stage for mm. countries outside of the World Cup wasn't anywhere what it is today from that point onwards from 2010. So mm -hmm. I think that generation can probably count themselves the unlucky generation, just mm -hmm. as the Ryan Campbells of the world look at T20 now and what they could have been these days. I think um, the Tabrak Dars um, mm -hmm. and Jawad um, looking at what they did for Hong Kong to get us to points, so, and Tim Smart as well, way back when as well, playing of that first, first game, 2004, yeah. they're thinking what it could have been. But I think we wouldn't be where we are without those guys because mm -hmm. they kept a, a healthy high standard. But yeah, it's been great to see that young blood come through and so much of it, um, if not having been born in Hong Kong, definitely developed in Hong Kong with lots of kids that have moved here. I guess I say kids now because I'm getting older, but guys <laughs> in their early 20s and, and late teens that have developed their game really in Hong Kong. Sure. Um, and it's interesting to see some of these players going on to bigger things. You mentioned Mark Chapman. I think Sam Hain is another one who's playing county cricket. Uh, his father used to be my PE teacher. Wow. <laughs> so, Good connection. Yeah, I know. It's a small world. Um, we, we actually wanted to get you onto Cricket Ultras, uh, really, because we, we read a, this amazing post you put on Facebook about the ICC um, World Cup qualifier, a tournament that we've discussed, um, Darren and I, on our on previous Cricket Ultras episodes at length, possibly because it was a tournament that went on for a very long time, it never seemed to end, uh, had, had a, a quite a complicated process. You seem to be one of the few people that understood how the World Cup qualifier progressed. Um, what did you think of the tournament overall? Because despite the fact that it was a complicated and convoluted process, some very exciting cricket, I thought, um, was generated. Well, I think if we look in recent past of ICC tournaments, it's probably had some of the most competitive nail-biting cricket with context than any tournament I can think of. Like, mm. like in 2015 World Cup was great for entertainment value, and I can remember Australia versus New Zealand going down the wire and New Zealand, South Africa in the semi-final. But apart from that, you know, there were a lot of games that weren't that close. I look at the World Cup qualifier and what was on, um, well, what was at stake really for some of the teams, even that didn't go through the Super Sixes as we saw with Hong Kong and Papua New Guinea losing their ODI status. But mm -hmm. each game in the end, right down to the very last game of the Super Sixes, there was something on the line. You know, the yeah. very last game was a playoff for the last Cricket World Cup spot. And really, if you're designing a tournament, that's, that's what you want. Mm. Um, and yet, despite the kind of, the, the great crowds, good support, some, some very good quality cricket, um, as you mentioned, some nail-biting games, it does feel like the ICC is limiting the involvement of the associate nations, right? We're going down from, what is it, 14 to 10 teams in the next World Cup? This seems like a real shame. 
Um, absolutely. This will be the first World Cup that is missing a test nation, of which two will be missing. Mm -hmm. um, Ireland and Zimbabwe won't be there. Of course, we have 12 full member test status teams and there's only 10 in the World Cup. And it will also be the first World Cup that doesn't have an associate there as well, which I think gets lost on a few people when they're talking about minnows and whatnot at World Cups. The fact that we've always had an associate uh, at the World Cup going back to the 70s right. and 80s, of course, when Zimbabwe was still yeah. um, associates. And of course, we've had the UAE, UAE yeah. Netherlands and Kenya make the World Cup. I think in Canada has, has played. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Canada, we had the fastest World Cup century there from John Davison there for a while. And right. Kenya, of course, made the 2003 mm -hmm. semi-finals. Yeah, of course. Um, so I think it's been well spoken about um, by many about the, the effect the 10-team World Cup is having on, on cricket's development. Um, the ICC's now leaning a lot more towards T20 cricket, saying that that's the vehicle to, to grow the game around the world. But the reality is that from a development point of view and where your funding comes from, that's all linked to 50 over cricket right. in the associate world. So as long as that's the way, um, associate teams and nations to try and get their money and exposure through those tournaments, 50 over cricket is, is still the way. So they're, they're now looking at reviewing the qualification pathway for the next World T20. You can see that some sub-regional qualifiers around the world are also, are always, are now being played with sub-Africa and sub um, American qualifiers, so they're kind of looking at much, much more, more like football, where you have regional qualification coming in. But I think they're still going to be the auto qualifiers. Yeah, it's quite disappointing. So I go back and look at Hong Kong back in 2014, where it was one over, one wicket away from qualifying, really, with games that we should have won against the UAE and Kenya, um, and then Kenya should have beaten uh, Scotland um, near the end. So. It is very frustrating knowing that at that stage Hong Kong was so close and that was when we got our ODI status and if we mm -hmm. performed um, as well as we had um, th this year in terms of the World Cricket League Championship with the top two teams, remember back in 2013 being Afghanistan and Ireland went straight into the World Cup, right. um, you know, we would have been at the top of the pile of the teams to qualify from the next, the next rung down. So look, I'd, I think the proof is in the numbers, really, if you look at all the other sports that are increasing. Um, when even Kabaddi has more teams in their world tournament, and we have basketball, it's mm -hmm. an expanded World Cup coming next year in China. I think they're really leading the way about how the qualification pathway can go. I think uh, only a matter of time, I hope, until cricket sees the error of their ways and corrects it. Mm. Is it is it purely a, a, a TV money decision to, 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 behind the ICC, you know, contracting the number of teams? Yeah, that's a hard one. I think a lot of people talked about the 10-team, the nine-game India deal that mm. is controlling this. Uh, but I've also been told by some pretty close sources within the ICC that there's no actual contract that says that, that it's more of a, an agreement between the, the ICC and STAR who've paid you know, $2 billion for the ICC global media rights over eight years. Mm. And, and that, honestly, that is where the money comes from that pays for Hong Kong cricket, pays for all these other countries uh, through the ICC disbursements. Um, but I think it's a matter of getting the right messages to the right people there mm -hmm. um, in getting them to understand the value of the growth of the sport and also how many people have watched those matches in the past that 
have had close finishes between associates and the effect that it has when an associate takes a, a big team close oh, to the yeah. end or beats them. That, th these are the memories that, that, that people yeah. hold with them, whether they're your country or not. Mm. Even with you and I talking about World Cups of the past, I can remember more about Kenya's performance in mm -hmm. 2003 rather than Australia's, to be honest. Um, yeah. Even though they, they won the World Cup. Um, yeah. Ireland beating England yeah, in, in multiple I, World Cups. No, it's always a great moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially for all the Irish people that I know. Um, this is where I'll claim the Irish part of my blood rather than the... Uh, I think we yeah, all do at that yeah, point. Yeah. Um, that these are the memories that, that people latch onto and how you, I think, fall in love with the sport. Mm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, Coming back to this World Cup qualifier, what, what moments impressed you and which players caught your eye from this, from this year's edition? Probably some, the ones that we least expected to, to perform, or probably more likely. It's the players that didn't perform and where others stood up. You know, Mohamed Naveed for the UAE, I thought, was a pillar of strength, bowling quick um, across um, pitches that weren't really suiting quick bowlers. To take as many wickets as he did, but Safi and Sharif for Scotland, mm -hmm. I thought was a standout for the entire tournament. Yeah, um, you know, people will talk about him getting Chris Gale that first ball and that crit critical game against the West Indies. But again, in Bulawayo, which is where Scotland's group played beforehand, was suiting spin, mm -hmm. um, especially at Queen Sports Club. He. The, the strength that he showed when I think it's the first time really for him to step step up as a real spearhead. We saw Alistair Evans in the past for Scotland, but this is where Safian really stood up. Uh, Kyle Kurtzer for, for Scotland was great as well. Mm -hmm. uh, he was really the, the backbone um, for that team too. For Hong Kong, Esan Khan I thought was amazing with the ball. Ashman. Mm -hmm. As we'd all hoped and expected, stood up, especially mm -hmm. in that Afghanistan game that was Hong Kong's first ever ODI win against a full member. Yeah. Um, where I think Bubba had gone with a lot of talent and performance in the, in the background, but didn't didn't quite perform for for Anshi to stand up was was great. And then for for Zimbabwe um, as well, Sakanda Raza mm -hmm. was, has been a good player for a long time. But again, the way that he was able to put together a performance with bat and ball when Zimbabwe really, really needed it, I thought was pleasing as well. Mm. Yeah. Well, if you're worried about Hong Kong cricket, then at least things are not quite as bad as Zimbabwe cricket, where I think Heath Streak has, has been removed, or well, the whole selection panel coaching team has been removed. Yeah, I've been keeping the, up with that. We had the whole team, the whole technical team removed, yeah. and, then, and then they were reinstated. Mm -hmm. um, and just to be fired the same day again. So I, I think that means that the lawyers probably found out that what oh, they okay. had done weren't, what, wasn't kosher. Uh, mm -hmm. And it was only yesterday I saw the Ministry of Sport meeting with both Zimbabwe Cricket and a Friends of Zimbabwe Cricket lobby group um, on I the see. same day. So there is a lot of political noise there, but you know, I can only hope that Zimbabwe Cricket is better coming out of the back of this, whichever Sure. Way that that sort of inquest goes. Yeah, I'm I'm not particularly confident of the, of that outcome. Okay, so you are Australian. I am. Um, so you are probably familiar with Sandpaper Gate, uh, the story that has has rocked the cricket world and, and taken cricket to the front pages. <laughs> it's always amazing when that happens. I think um, to many of us outside Australia. It all seems a little bit excessive, the uh, sort of self-flagellation and the, the punishments, the, um, 
the kind of hand wringing about how far these players have fallen. Um, what do you think? I mean, you know some of the, the players involved as well. What's been what's been your take on on this affair? As we were talking prior offline, I thought uh, Bryden Coverdale's piece in mm. Crick Info was excellent in capturing the the essence of the Australian psyche when it comes to sport. The fact that the Australian team, cricket team especially, was performing as Australia before Australia country even existed. I think sport holds probably more special position in Australian society and for any sort of Western mm. uh, country that, that I've, I've seen. And I think that the reaction was not only a reflection of, of how highly they hold the cricket team, um, especially that position as Australian captain, as they always talk mm. about, that's the second most important job mm -hmm. behind the Prime Minister and some would argue that it's the most important um, and sort of seen as the last bastion of integrity, I think, at a time of a lot of negativity um, in the political world in, in Australia and also conflict uh, about the use of offshore detention uh, mm -hmm. centres and what it means to be Australian that, that was really riding for a fall in terms of when something was going to go wrong, it was going to go really wrong. And I think with the, the amount of tension that's been in the media and on and off the field about the, the Australian team, and then what was building in South Africa as well with all, everything before, I yeah, think it was almost a, sure. per, a perfect storm mm. leading into this. Um, and I'd say the reaction in terms of the bans, if you're asking me whether I, I think it was appropriate, I think I thought they were going to, to go for about half as long as they did. And I thought that would have been still extremely harsh in a cricketing world, looking at what the ICC punished for the same offence but would send the message that perhaps they were looking to send and give the time for the review to run its course, which I think was probably overdue anyway. Mm. Um, but the way you look at it now and the almost the worst timing possible for these guys is just before Cricket Australia contract renewal as well, right. of which all three of them have not been offered a Cricket Australia contract, which would have been their only regular income right. left. Because if we look at what's happened with the IPL, both of them haven't been able to play in that, so that's two million US they both don't get, and they're both mm -hmm. on the top tier of Cricket Australia contracts, so that's mm -hmm. another, well, edging towards two million Australian dollars. They both lost um, e extra sponsorships with mm -hmm. ASICs and Commonwealth Bank. Um, LG uh, as well. LG and also um, Sanitarium mm -hmm. um, around wheat picks for, um, yes. for Steve Smith. So they've gone from earning over $5 million a year each um, to I think, you know, around, I'd say around about a million, and that's probably their bat sponsorships and one or two alternate sponsorships left. Right. So you just think from a logistical life point of view, these guys would have um, investments and properties mm. and be supporting family, as I know, um, you know, David, for example, had bought his parents a, a property, I know that and he helps them out, and um, mm. they can there. Um, they grew up in Housing Commission in, Ma in Matraville, so he's been one of the guys that have really gone back and supported his his family, his friends, it's going to have a huge impact on these guys. Um, mm. And I think looking at the same point of view from what happened to Irfan Ahmed here when he was suspended for not reporting uh, an approach from a bookmaker, you know, that we were really, really worried about his welfare and making sure he was getting the, the help that he could. But these guys, in terms of the fall from grace and how they've been treated, you know, yeah. Steve Smith being walked through a public airport. Mm and treated like a, like a criminal, yeah. really. Um, yeah. Look, I don't care who, who you are. If you watch that and think that that's right, then there, there, there's, something, there's something not quite right there. You know, you've mm. got back doors at every airport to allow 
um, politicians, celebrities and, and whatnot to go through. Like why they let him through like that was beyond me. That was almost a breaking point for me after everything had happened and maybe even for the, for the players to see that happen just to realise how big this, this was. Mm. Um, so do I think it was too harsh? Probably on the harsh side. Um, but for me, I think it goes broader than that. Mm. Um, the culture I, of the of the team, the culture of the team, but just the sport itself, mm. and especially us sitting here in Hong Kong and seeing the struggles that we have here in terms of grounds and getting kids to play. There are so many reasons for for kids to be playing other sports, for mm. parents to be taking kids to other sports, uh, and not just sports. You look at computer games and, and networks, um, real time um, player games, and esports filling stadiums. There are so many reasons for kids not to play cricket and we should be trying to get out of the way of ourselves as a sport to be for cricket to be its first choice because we look at what cricket has done across the world it's one of the few sports that that straddles and breaks down the barriers across so many cultural challenges at the moment if we look at the, some of the countries and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and other sort of if we look at across um, geopolitical lines and, and religious lines that in some parts of the world are barriers but on a cricket field they, they disappear it's one of the few sports that does that so we should really be using sports and sports diplomacy as much as possible here but when the game itself is sort of getting its own way it, it really gets at me when i see the like, microchasm here in hong kong and trying to get the the government on board for example and i look mm. across the world and people what people are writing about cricketers you know we look at rugby for example with alley sports is in Alibaba putting 100 million over 10 years into rugby in China, all on the back of Jack Ma being flown to the Rugby World Cup final by World Rugby and seeing the respect to the referee and saying, this is what I want in the next Chinese generation. I want them mm. to have respect for the rules, respect for, for elders and, and to work as a team. Yeah. And also it's an Olympic sport. Mm. You think of all these things that cricket can be doing yeah. to be helping itself to be getting for me almost free money, if we call it that way, that's not coming out of the meteorites deal, that all of a sudden countries are able to sustain their own development programs and you've got a stronger game that's actually making the world a better place. I think there's so many things we can be doing better as a sport. And this little example of how people reacted, it shows how much nascent interest there is for cricket out there by the fact that it made front page news across the world, that people want to talk about cricket, even people who aren't cricket nerds, if we call them like that, that there's still a level of interest and in wondering what's going on on the other side of the fence. Mm. And seeing the reaction, you know, probably in every country in the world, like seeing all these newsstands calling Australian cricket captain cheats in all these other mm. countries that aren't even members of the ICC was, it's like, it was almost like this weird sort of feeling. You know, it's like, well, they say sitting there watching your, your favorite pub burn down, you're thinking, hang on, it's, I'm seeing cricket on the front page in Switzerland or in Uruguay or something. Yeah. It's like, that's good but it's not good yeah. <laughs> but I guess that speaks about the uh, the media these days but uh, <laughs> I, I, and again the same same sentiments about uh, Zimbabwe cricket I, I can only hope that what comes out of this is a is a Australian cricket team that, that connects better which I think they'd already connected well and we were winning and people were not talking too much about this and how amazing the big bash has been but mm. connects better with the market and can continue and and really get themselves back to the top of the pile there and as an example for the world game mm. yeah well well said if if, if a little depressing about, <laughs> about cricket's prospects and and just very quickly before before you go i mean do, do you expect cricket to ever get to the olympics that's a <laughs> short question with a long answer um 
and I just saw a post in, in one of the many Facebook groups, this not, not an, an emerging cricket focus one about should cricket be in the Olympics? Mm. And a lot of people saying no, if it's not the pinnacle of the sport, then it, it shouldn't be in there. I think that, mm. I'll say why it should be first before I give my answer, but uh, yeah, the, yeah, Brazil is a great example. Um, and the favelas of uh, Posta de Carlos is where all, a lot of the hard work is done by Matt Featherston, an ex-Brit who uh, moved to, to Brazil, fell in love and, and lives there, but they work with um, some of the poorest of the poor kids there, and that's where Brazil cricket's growing from. And these are kids that didn't watch cricket growing up and don't understand sledging or over-appealing and just know that from the, mm. uh, the laws of the sport, and, uh, and it's a real social um, project that is, is doing good work. Uh, if cricket was to make it in the Olympics, even though Brazil isn't even anywhere near the World Cricket League um, tree, so that means they're outside the, the top 40, they would get 700,000 euro a year from the Brazilian uh, Sports Council. So that is compared to at the moment, I think they're about 30,000 US a okay. year from the So that's thing. kind of life-changing. So that's one country. You know, China has spoken in the past about what mm. Olympic sports would get in much more general terms um, and we know here the amount of weight that the Sports Institute and the government put on Olympic sports so from a development point of view it's a, it's a no-brainer will it happen it's really two countries that are blocker for that the ECB were always very well beyond reticent um, about putting a hole in their summer mm, calendar calendar yeah uh, sure. and the bccci's issue i think i said too many c's it um well, issue, you can add another c <laughs> you might as well <laughs> lots of cricket um, <laughs> the, their issue was that the uh they didn't want the olympic committee running the game um for that which would which would be the case in terms of olympic sports i can't imagine why they'd, they'd, uh, they'd no, have a problem with that well exactly is i believe they don't receive much government funding if any and they're self-sustainable and i think there's a there's a very big wall between the two. Well, there, there's a, yeah, a, a continuing issue between the Indian government and the BCCI at the moment. And it sounds like 2024 is, is gone. Mm. Um, will it be in there? Geez, I hope so. I hope there's a, a compromise found. Um, the issue is athlete numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a team of 11 playing cricket plus everyone around it means that they've, there needs to be a sport going out or they need to be making uh, provisions for new athlete numbers. Mm -hmm. um, so it looked like if there was going to be Olympic cricket, it would have been an eight-team T20 event, yeah. so male and female, so 16 uh, teams all up, so you do your numbers there. So I'd always thought that a sixes or an eights cricket and revising the, the regulations around sixes now, I think we see the element that fielding brings to T20, which you don't see in probably sixes cricket enough, which brings an element that it's probably lacking, but to get as many countries as possible. And I thought that and, and until in, in time I've sort of learnt the effect that Olympic cricket would have on funding and just to keeping it clear around T20 cricket I think would still be the way forward knowing that a lot of countries get funding whether they were close or not and um, whether they needed to be there or not. Will it happen? Mm. I'm going to say yes and be, a, be an optimist. Uh, mm. 2028, 20, um, I think there's a healthy symbiotic relationship there in that the Olympics needs cricket because the Olympics really needs India and they don't really have them at the moment. Right. And it is the, the second most watched sport in the world, right? Oh, absolutely. And that's but mainly out of India. Right. And, and I actually think cricket needs the Olympics um, mm. because again, to me, it's a bit of a, a bit of a free kick. Um, yeah. 
the World T20, I think, should be every two years until cricket's in the Olympics. I think mm. taking out of four years was a, was a real mistake. And I think they realised that when they went to renegotiate with Star mm -hmm. last year to get a 2018 World T20. And when they didn't get the numbers they, they wanted from Star, who had the exclusive rights to bid for it under the media rights agreement, I think that was... I think there were a few red faces when it came to that because I think mm. the World T20, as we look at where cricket is tracking is really where the money is going to come from where at the moment it's 50 over cricket where it comes from on an international basis um, but if we look at the numbers that have been put behind the IPL you know 2.55 billion US dollars for five years of IPL and now what, 970 million mm -hmm. um, by the same company star which will be interesting because they're being sold to Disney so to see what that will happen there there's another podcast entirely on that it um, is, yeah. but to see what that means after 2023 for rights and whether they start putting a lot more value on, on T20 cricket so will it be there let's say yes um, but until then we need to maintain uh, those global events in T20 cricket not just for emerging countries but I think also to keep context to that international T20 game because I think we are in danger of losing that um, to it becoming a much more sort of regional um, mm -hmm. franchise-based model like we see with football yeah. um, around your European leagues. But so I think they've got the balance there that the, the good players come out to play only when the games matter, and the games matter when you're qualifying for a world event. So if you look at it that way, if you combine the best of the world T20 leagues and the players were released to play in windows uh, a la FIBA, what the basketball does, they play in windows to qualify for the World Cup and then they go back to their franchises and then they will get together to play in a World Cup. And you have context around T20i cricket, so people will actually get behind their teams because they know they stands for, they, what it stands for, right. but then also you still have that contextual league format where you have all the players playing together, which I think really does um, transcend um, the issues around club versus country. Mm. Well, Tim, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have someone on this show that knows what they're talking about. And I think we will, we will no doubt invite you back on again. Um, so thank you again. My pleasure. <laughs>